0: Alrighty, welcome to another episode of Stolen Droids Presents. We haven't had one of these in a while, but we have a very special guest tonight. We have Arlen Schumer. Now, you may not be familiar with him, but I I'm pretty sure you should be. Uh, he's a comic book historian, one of the foremost authorities on the Silver Age of comic books. He's also the author of the award-winning The Silver Age of Comic Book Art, which is an amazing book. I highly recommend it. You need to pick it up. Uh, he also is an expert on pop culture topics like Twilight Zone and Bruce Springsteen, which kind of surprised me. And He's uh- done done stuff about the Flintstones. That, uh, that doesn't surprise you. The Bruce Springsteen surprises you. Well, it, it did a little bit. So, well, welcome, though, Arlen. Uh, I'm interrupting my own introduction. So, well, No, it's good. Uh, I was just going to say you also lecture on on topics ranging from Jack Kirby to Neil Adams to Batman the Animated Series, which is in its twenty fifth anniversary this year. Yes, so, I, I just lectured, lectured
1: on it at, at the San Diego, Diego Comic Fest, Fest in January, and I, I just lectured in February, and I, I just did it. At the uh, Brass Sydney Comic Con in Waterbury, Connecticut, a couple weeks ago. And I hope to do it again. I may be doing it at the San Diego Comic Convention if they select it. They usually give me one lecture to do um, every summer there. So uh, I submitted my Jack Kirby Centennial Lecture honoring the 100 years. I submitted a lecture about Neil Adams, about his 50th year entering the comic book field. I must be the only one honoring that. Anniversary, but hello, anybody that came of age when Neil Adams entered the comic field knows exactly the tsunami-like impact that had. And then the 25th anniversary of Batman the Animated Series, which, as a Batman fan, and I mean, I was art director of Batmania magazine when I was in high school, so I got some bad bone advice. Um, the Batman Animated Series is the greatest version of not only Batman ever done to any medium but the greatest version of any comic book character to any medium, live action or
0: animated. Now, do why, why do you say it's the greatest Batman in any medium? What, what gives you that opinion? What, what leads you to that conclusion? When I say I the say greatest Batman,
1: meaning the greatest translation okay. of comic book character Batman to another medium. In the same way that Max Slater's Superman cartoons are the greatest translation of Superman to any other medium because I rank that higher. Okay, the first Christopher Reeves movie, maybe, but I'll still take if I'm on a desert island or if the aliens come and say we have one item about Superman that, you know, to fit on our spaceship, I'm going to give them the Flash of Superman cartoons. And that, a,
0: that artwork I, is gorgeous as well. Well, well the, the cartoons, cartoons, I mean, but, but my,
1: my point, point is, so, so, so when it comes to, the, to Batman, yeah, I'll give them the Neil Adams Illustrated comics as the definitive Batman comics, but the definitive translation of Batman to another medium, by far, is Bruce Timm's Batman animated series. And why? Well, then you break down why is the Batman animated series brilliant. It's brilliant on so many levels all at once that it makes it, you know, there were 105 episodes. I consider those 105 episodes the greatest issues of a Batman comic ever, and they actually move. So they're, they're 105. You know, the consistency of the Batman animated series, how many things that lasted 105 episodes actually got better as it went along? Some of the greatest episodes are at the tail end oh, of the definitely, series.
0: Definitely, That, and, so, that was but, a perfect but, series.
1: Okay, so my, okay, so if you're saying the word "perfect," think about the implications. There, are, there are not
0: many perfect
1: Batman translations, are there? Because I got problems with every single live-action version, starting with the 1940s version and continuing to this latest Dark Knight bullshit. Pardon <laughs> French, and that's mostly about the costume. I hate the costume. Yeah, but Batman moves more realistically. Even though it's animated in the Batman Animated series, even though it's not on the level, nothing can ever be of the Bleisha cartoons for a realistically animated movement. But what's there is the greatest translation of Batman ever. And by the way, the voice by Kevin Conroy is the voice that was in all of our Bat Collective Unconscious of what Batman should sound like. I agree. So you you couple that voice with the animation, and then, by the way, the stories. You know, the Fleischer cartoons are eight minutes. The stories are meaningless. It's all about the beauty of that art. Yeah. My point is that it's not about the stories. It's about the beauty of the animation. But the thing about the Bruce and animated series, there's, there's, in
0: 105
1: issues, so to speak, there's hardly a dud. Almost every story is a good story. Yeah. And some of the best stories came at the end of the run. You can hardly say that about anything that lasted 105. You I, know what I'm saying? I maybe, totally agree. Maybe the Kirby Fantastic Four lasting 100 issues might be one of the things. You, but the point is, is you look at the way Batman moves, the white eyes, not open eye holes with black mascara like every live-action version is doing since that Michael Keaton abortion. But like I said, I got problems with the Adam West. I got problems with the 1940s. I hate all the live-action Batman. Until they get the Neil Adams Batman in live-action, we will never see the true Batman on screen. I'm sorry. Now we're stuck with the Frank Miller Dark Knight. This lumbering with a giant construction worker's utility belt. Remember, Batman once was an acrobat. Can you imagine any of these guys swinging on a rope and doing anything resembling an acrobatic thing?
0: No, 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 no not at all, not at all. But oh, oh, but the Neil Adams Batman—if you look at the
1: greatness of those stories—and I'm not talking about his recent Batman. I'm talking about his golden era of '68 to '74. That is the Batman I'm giving to the aliens if they want. If they have room on their spaceship for just, you know, a little bit of Batman comic books, I'm giving them those.
0: I, I I think that works. You know, I actually I've I've met Neil Adams twice. I used to work for him. I, yes, I, I actually wanted to talk about that a little yeah. bit. First time I met him, he was a complete dick to me. I I found out six months later when I met him again why he was a complete dick to me. And he was one of the most gracious individuals I've ever met. At that point,
1: are you forgiving his initial dickness? I am. For what reason? Ah, uh, oh, you think it was just a incident? It wasn't. It, it was what?
0: It was not me. It was the situation okay. that he was Can I stop you right there? In. Can I
1: stop you right there? Yeah. Do you, Do you realize how many people
0: I run a Neil Adams
1: group on Facebook? You know. Uh huh. You realize how many people over the years. I've said the exact same thing. I Meaning. imagine
0: a lot. Okay, but my point is,
1: don't make the mistake of trying to find a reason for why, as in your terms, he was a dick you. Do you know how many dick stories I've heard and <laughs> experienced and still hear every day? And yet, Neil is like uh, one of those split DC Comics Silver Age Infantino covers. Uh-huh. The angel on one side and the devil on the other. You never know what you're going to get with Neil. Neil. What, what does Walt Whitman say? I am large. I contain multitudes. Neil is a walking, living paradox.
0: You know, I talked to Ed McGinnis, uh, the, the comic artist, about, oh, two hours after I initially met Neil, and he, we somehow started talking about about my encounter. He said, "You know, I hear that from about half the people." So, <laughs> what, what, you said, said. what you just said? Yeah, it's it, it, it. I think. No, it l- l- listen, look at the record.
1: On the plus side, Neil has, you know, many many pluses. Creators' rights, Siegel and huh. letting the door open for Wrightson and Kaluda and Shaken in that year. I mean, who's doing a lecture? On the 50th anniversary of Neil's entry into comic
0: books. that would be you, sir.
1: Yeah. So, like I said, who is still honoring the guy for his great accomplishments?
0: Yeah, that Me. would be you. Now, while while we're talking about Neil, let's yeah. let's talk about Neil. You worked for him at, at it was continuity, correct? Yes. Yes. So. It is. Um, Now, you worked with him. What was that like? How how did that come about? Do you want that to be the subject
1: of this podcast? Because where do you want me to begin?
0: (laughs) I mean, it's a great story. Is that what you want to talk
1: about? I'll talk about
0: it. Yeah, give us a real
1: digest version. I was of the generation. Well, stop me when you've heard enough. Remember I told you. Okay. I could turn this into, like I said, this could be the the whole rest of the podcast. The point is, is, I'm of the generation that was young enough and at the same time old enough to have had our minds blown when Neil Adams dropped into the comic book universe similar to the way Serenko dropped into the Marvel universe a year or two prior to Neil Adams, but there was something about Neil's impact because of the realism. See, Serenko was doing his take on Kirby and mixing it with the Eisner cinematic techniques but his drawing style was basically Kirby on steroids if you, if you look at Samantha's early Nick Fury stuff, get that IDWR edition. Beautiful.
0: I digress. You see what I'm saying? But my
1: point <laughs> is getting back to Neil. Um, uh, yeah, see, I need a script or remind me of my tangents. But my point is, Neil's had that photographic realism that he got, we didn't know it at the time, from the comic strip world and doing comics for advertising, photorealistic drawing techniques using photographic models. But just like Alex Ross today, when you train yourself with photo research, even when you draw without photos, it looks like, or it has a little bit of that feeling of that it looks real, like oh that must have been from a photograph.
0: Yeah. You know, I've seen Alex Ross's
1: cocktail napkin sketches. They look like they're from photo reference. Oh wow. So my point is, that is the training Neil will brought to superhero comics. We had never seen superheroes rendered that realistically. His use of black ink within the figure to give it a roundness and a three dimensionality. Neil made a comment No, if superheroes really existed, they would have to look like the way I drew them. And up until probably Alex Ross appeared 25 years ago in 1992, Neil was correct. Yeah, now, I can see, our, that. yeah. In our modern pop culture, Star Wars, computer graphics, rendering our fantasy looking real. Every one of today's filmmakers and computer graphics persons, I guarantee you, like Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, you can trace it all back to the impact that Neil Adams' realism on the printed page more than anybody else's because it was in the mainstream superhero world for Zeta blew people's minds, but that was a more esoteric, sword of sorcery in Conan. This was Superman and Batman, for Christ's sake. Rendered realistically. So when Neil Adams drew all that stuff, the young George Lucas's, the young James... Um, um, the guy that did Titan... What's his name? James uh, um,
0: Cameron. Cameron.
1: Stephen King. Bernie Wright. Everybody was influenced to take their fantasy and render it real. So you look at what Neil, the impact Neil had from 1968 to 70 is immeasurable. And yet he doesn't get the credit for it. He gets a lot of the blame for all the people that tried to imitate Neil, which were legion. Now, some of them like Bill Sienkiewicz broke free of the shackles and became the great artist that Bill Sienkiewicz is. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that's like blaming, you know, Raphael for the school of Raphael that follows all the great masters. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't you can't hold Neil Adams responsible for the Mike Grells of the world, and I apologize if I've hurt any Mike Grell fans, and I'm sure he's not a Legion of fans. I have never liked his artwork. And I always thought he was one of the worst of the Neil Adams influenced swipers. But that gets into a whole of subject. But the point is, if you had told me when I was 10 years old, 1968, with my mind getting blown like everybody's was by every issue of Dead Man that he was doing, which, by the way, even the people at Marvel said it was the only DC comic they read was Neil Adams' Dead Man. Yeah. And that was when Marvel was at their peak. Well, with or without Steve Ditko, but that's a whole other story.
0: But anyway, see how I digress?
1: But the point is, is if you had told me when I was 10 years old, like the ghost of Christmas Future visiting me and saying, Arlen, in 13 years, you're going to be working for Neil Adams, I would have had a 10-year-old adolescent heart attack right there on the street. That would be like telling a young guitar player, that you, when you get older, you're going to play rhythm guitar behind Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Right? Neil Adams and Serenko were the twin gods of mainstream comic book art in the late 60s. You know, that's what we comic fans associate. When we think of the late 60s, we're not thinking of Vietnam or us. Like, we're thinking of Adams and Serenko, you know, from 68 to 70, blowing everybody's minds with everything they did, every single issue. And they were so, so the point is is, if you had told me, "Arlen, one day somebody will look at your adult artwork and say it reminded them of Neil Adams, I would have had a 10-year-old adolescent heart attack to have my artwork spoken of in the same sentence as Neil Adams?" Again, only those who are of my peer group who are now working artists like a whole generation is because of the impact of Adams and Sarango know what I'm talking about. And I'm just trying to convey that to you and to the audience listening in. That's the kind of impact that Neil Adams had. So flash forward to 1983, and I end up, and that's a whole other story, how I got to work for Neil Adams at Continuity in New York City. Um, I got out of, like I said, I went to art school, wrote out school of design. Because Walt Simonson had come out of there. now His Manhunter was like Neil Adams' Dead Man. Yeah. Walt Simonson made his bones with his Manhunter. And I read, I was in high school at the time, and I read that he was a recent graduate of Roland School of Design. So I'm like, at the time, I went through what every teenage comic book fan who becomes an artist goes through. I want to draw from Marvel and DC Comics. That's what I thought I wanted to do. So I said, wow, if they could turn out a guy like Walt Simonson, that's where I'm going to go.
0: So I got to RISD
1: in my freshman year. (coughs) I researched that their graphic design department was actually considered even better than their illustration department, which was quite formidable. Graphic design is verbal visual communication, words and pictures. Comics are words and pictures. Graphic design appealed to me. I majored in graphic design. When I'm a junior, I write Jim Steranko, a fanboy letter, I think, telling him that I majored in graphic design because of his influence. You see, Neil Adams had the drawing influence with that photorealism, realism, but the Steranko influence was more of the design, the type, the cinematic panel design, thinking of the page as a piece of design. Neil Adams did a lot of that, too, but Steranko, that's what he was all about. Anyway, Seranko responded to the letter and invited me down to Reading, Pennsylvania to meet him, to interview with him. Imagine, I get on a bus from Providence, Rhode Island to Reading, Pennsylvania, and I'm about to meet Jim Seranko. Now, I don't remember much of the day I spent with him because I think I was having Jeremiah, like a Dr. Strange, ectoplasmic, out-of-body experience. Oh, totally, totally. But here's what I do remember. He asked me
0: if I would leave RISD.
1: And work for him as his apprentice. That it would mean I would have to leave Rizzi and go down to Redding. So imagine the bus ride back to Providence. I feel like I'm at the last student of the graduate. You know, where he's in the bus and the future is in front of him. Yeah. So what do I do, Jeremiah? Do I stay in school? Remember, I was a junior. Do I, I stay I in school? I know the answer to this. Degree, or do I leave school and join the circus and work for Jim
0: Serango? I, I know that you stayed in school. Uh, but I would have. have given a moment for your listeners listening in yeah. to ask their I, votes I, and text, I, you know, <laughs> just like American Idol. What do you think I did?
1: You know, you jumped it a little. I, I See, did. Now, I'm, now,
0: now I'm we can terrible. edit that out maybe in post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, okay, but that's but because I, what?
1: I told you the story already?
0: We, we talked on the phone? No, I've done my research.
1: Where is that in the research that I worked for, almost oh, worked for Jim Sarango.
0: You did another podcast and discussed it. Oh,
1: you slide off. Right. Hey, I,
0: I, I told hey, you. I love it, man. You did your research. I, right? I, I try, but no. So my I, point I is, would have jumped at that. I, I'm. You, would you, you have left, left school? I, I probably would have with that kind okay, of an opportunity. If
1: I was a freshman, maybe even a sophomore, but I was a junior already.
0: Yeah, that's a tough. To get, call, you really would have
1: left school as a junior.
0: I probably would have for that kind of opportunity. Okay. But I have a history of making bad decisions, so I don't
1: know that any of us follow up. At the time, if it's a bad
0: decision. No, you don't. But, but here's <laughs>
1: something. My mother was a widow. My She raised my brother and herself. She was paying for school. I got a partial scholarship. But the point is, is I had to honor my mother and get my degree. I felt that that was the right thing to do. But here's the irony. Is that I stay friends... I'm still friends with Jim Saranko when I see him at conventions all these years later. But... Within three years of graduating, who do I end up working for? Which brings us full circle in our conversation here. After tooling around New York City for a few years, I worked for uh, the PBS station doing graphics, uh, Channel 13 in New York City. Um, I, then I worked for the David Letterman show, his first year on NBC, and I designed the graphics for uh, the show that year. And then um, that didn't work out. I worked at an ad agency. Anyway, I was out of work. That's when I worked up the courage to show, go up to Continuity. I knew Neil had the office there in New York City, and I showed him my sketchbook. And the next day I got a call, do I want to work at Continuity? And I was there about two years.
0: That's awesome. That is awesome.
1: And it was like, listen, the first couple of days or weeks, I felt that tingling sensation. Like you used to draw Dead Man when he would inhabit a body, he would have that tingling. Because I was... Standing next to my childhood idol, Neil Adams. Yeah. Okay. So in those two years I worked for him, I learned. It was like going to graduate school, but getting paid. You know, we were doing advertising art, not really comics at the time. Uh-huh. Storyboards, comps. So the, the the um you know the knowledge I gained from the advertising industry, and I knew that I would be ready when I was done with Neil. When you're done working for your childhood idol, who can you work for? And I did, after two years, leave Neil to be on my own. I've been on my own ever since. But those two years, my drawing improved 400% because just – Neil was a natural teacher. He taught by doing, not by actually literally teaching teaching. Uh You learn from doing. You learn by making mistakes. You know, You bring a drawing up to Neil of a scene that you busted your ass on, but you knew there was one little corner where you kind of fudged it a little. Uh do your research or it's just, you knew it was a little sloppy, but Hey, the rest of the picture looked great. You would show it to Neil before he would ink it. You know, Neil, like a laser beam would zero in immediately to that one spot where you screwed up and make you redraw. (laughs) Now that's the kind of standards. That's the kind of learning I got. Now I'm one of a long line of continuity alumni. You know, I was thinking about the Joe Hubert school, the alumni of the Hubert School's turned out since 1976 is pretty illustrious, pun intended. But you know what I mean? Uh, uh-huh. The list goes on. But Neil Adams' continuity, while not traditionally a school, was nevertheless a school of sorts. Because if you look at the alumni that have passed through continuity, it's everybody from Frank Miller to Bill Sienkiewicz to Klaus Janssen to Carl Gaff. I mean, the list... Goes on and on, and I am merely one in a continuum of Neil Adams continuity alumni. Walt Simonson spent time at continuity. Howard Shaken. I mean, I stopped and listed it. It's almost as many um, well-known graduates as the Pubert School in the same time frame.
0: Wow, I, I wasn't aware of that. That's yeah. awesome.
1: But now, the history of comics ends up getting written of these later years. And maybe I'll be the one doing it about, you know, the history of continuity. Because, like I said, it's a pretty formidable uh, history. And Neil did his job as a teacher by doing to turn out the people he's turned out.
0: That That's awesome. Now, we've talked a lot about Batman. Uh, the, the way that I was introduced to you is I stumbled across your visual lecture on Bill Finger and right. how he... Created Batman. Let's, let's. co-created, co-created. <laughs> I think you're a little more forgiving on that than I am. Although you but do, what know. are you saying? What,
1: what are you saying that Bob Kane had nothing to do with it?
0: I'm not saying he had nothing to do with it, but I think the majority of the credit lies with Bill
1: Finger. Hey, you got to be careful the way you say it. I always say that my phrase is, if you remember my lecture, this it was, um, you know, Bill Finger, the man who made Batman. Batman. Yes. Meaning, meaning, we wouldn't have Batman if it wouldn't be for Bill Finger. But Bill Finger was riffing off of Kane's original quote idea. Yeah. Yeah. Like That's it or not, we are forced to the fact that Kane did come up. We still think <laughs> up with the name Batman. If all he ever did was come up with a Batman name, you got to give him co-created credit just the name, because the bottom line is. The draw, the sketch that he first showed Bill Finger, which is really the impetus for my lecture and my other things on the on the subject, all stems from the fact that if you take away Finger's contribution visually alone,
0: yeah.
1: you're left with a character who only shares anything with a bat by having these giant stiff bat wings, not a cape. Everything else about Bob Cage's initial sketch has nothing to do with the Batman we all know and love. All of those essential art direction decisions because Bill Finger was a very visual writer. We know from his later scripts that he would do the visual research that an artist is expected to do or an illustrator is when they're given text or a script or an editorial message to illustrate. The artist is supposed to do the research. Bill Finger would write the story and get magazine clippings. He would do the equivalent of going on Google and finding images and visuals to give to the artist, which made the artist's job, believe me, a hell of a lot easier. And that's why, so Finger, looking at Bob Kane's sketch, made all the visual suggestions that turned Bob Kane's original sketch, which had nothing to do with a bat other than bat wings, into the Batman we know and love. So in the end, it's Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. But you know from the latest settlement, it's Bob Kane with Bill Finger.
0: And you know
1: that the word with and and is separated by probably a couple of billion dollars.
0: (laughs) True, true.
1: That one word was adjudicated, if I'm using the word right, adjudicated. Adjudicated when they when when lawyers deal with it.
0: It was legalized.
1: The subject, yeah, but the word adjudicated when you put something before the courts. Yeah, you adjudicate I, yeah, it. Yeah, I, I
0: think. think that's the word.
1: Yeah, get your son uh, looking up these words for us while he's doing <laughs> that. The point is, is um the difference between with and and is like I said, probably a couple of billion dollars.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now they just had. I mean. This story has kind of been bubbling for for quite a few years, but yeah. we had we had the book come out, Bill the Boy Wonder, a few years back, and then we 06 just
1: or, 08, 06 or 08.
0: yeah something like that. And then we had the the Hulu documentary that just came out a few weeks back, uh, Batman and Bill, and you right. were actually involved with that to some extent. Uh, I
1: was featured. Yeah,
0: I Keep in mind,
1: I did my thing about Bill Singer. In 1999 in terms of creating the first visualization of Bob Kane's sketch. Yeah. Bob Kane's sketch has never been reproduced. It was only, you know, hearsay by interviews with both Kane and Finger. They both corroborate verbally this initial sketch,
0: but nobody had ever
1: visualized it. So in 1999, a year after Kane dies, I think he died in 98. Um I had a chance to do something for an early issue of Roy Thomas's comic uh, Alter Ego magazine, and I—I um, had I always wanted, ever since I think that Batman and Me book came out in 1989, 19. ten years earlier. That was, you know, you know Bob Kane with a ghostwriter. Ghost well, it wasn't, wasn't ghostwriter. That, uh-huh. that, like,
0: that was that, his, his right.
1: biography, right? right. That, that was, was where? where that that. Batman sketch was really described. So for ten years it was bubbling in my head that one day I'd like to sit down and make that drawing based on the like like a police sketch artist would listen to witnesses and try to come up with the face of the perpetrator. I wanted to come up with a sketch that was most likely what Bill Finger was shown, so that it would give Bill Finger the credit he deserved. Uh-huh. That, hey everybody, look at what Batman would have looked like. Without Bill Finger, there'd be no Batman. Yeah. So I wrote a whole article about it. It was a cover story. Blah, blah, blah. But that was 1999 Pre-internet. Pre-everything. And years later, Mark Dolphin does his book, and then he gets another illustrator to do it, and the reds. The point is, is in a weird way, I've become the Bill Finger of the Bill Finger story. <laughs> And I say that with tongue slightly in cheek.
0: The point is, is
1: the film producers of the documentary
0: did their research.
1: And, you know, now, thanks to the Internet, my stuff has sort of gotten out there. And somehow they reached out and contacted me. And I was interviewed for the film. But, you know, they say your best scenes are on the room floor. Even though I got some good air time in it, the whole scene with me being filmed in my drawing board, Showing, showing the, the Batman red-suited figure they left on the cutting, cutting room floor. floor. So, so that's, that's
0: a shame. Man. But,
1: listen, like, like it's, it's a pleasure, pleasure to be nominated or whatever or they say, I'm glad, glad to be a part. And, and I'm, I'm very proud, proud of what Mark, Mark Nobleman did. did. I'm, I'm a, a big, big Mark Nobleman fan. fan. I've, I've gone, gone to his lectures. lectures. I've supported everything, everything that, he's that he's done. And thank God for him, him that he really did, did all the I did my part. But, but no women do the real on the ground, ground legwork needed to, to really unearth the story. And, and it's an incredible story. And I wrote a little mini review of it that I posted on Facebook and everywhere else. That, um, you, you know, know um, it was, was an incredibly, incredibly moving documentary that really gets to the heart and makes you feel for, for Bill, Bill Finger Fender, right? and, that, and, and it has, has a happy ending. ending. I mean, the, the, I, compared, compared to this, this documentary, documentary, Finding Vivian, Vivian Meyer. Meyer that they came, came out a couple of years ago. I don't, I don't know if you know what that's about. About this photographer that died unknown in the, in the 20th century
0: until a photographer from Chicago in 2007
1: buys at an, an auction a couple of boxes of undeveloped, undeveloped film. film, and he's and a photo buff, so and and he liked going to flea, flea markets. Market. Well, well, market. market. well, well, he develops this, this film, and guess, and guess what, Jeremiah? It turns out to be Meyer might be the greatest greatest photographer of the 20th 20th century. century. And And I have no problem saying that because she's equal parts Ouija, Diane Arbus, Arbus, and Robert Frank. And
0: and if you know know those photographers' names names I'm dropping, dropping, you know, they're they're three three of the greatest greatest photographers photographers of the 20th century.
1: century. She She is equal equal parts all of them. And And yet yet she didn't even develop her own film. She was never published. And then it turns out that, that thanks to this, to this one guy, guy and he ended, ended up, up showing her, her work and, and getting her honor, honor and, and then they, they made, made a documentary, documentary film. film. It came, it came out a couple of years ago. ago. If you've, if you've never, never seen it, it it'll, it, it'll blow, it blow your mind. Finding Vivian, Vivian and Meyer. And, and this the documentary, I give the highest credit, not just because I'm in it, but because it's on the level of finding Vivian Meyer. Bill Finger Finger is the Vivian Vivian Meyer in the story. He he dies dies unknown and and unloved and and unwarned in the 20th century, just like like Vivian Meyer did. And yet yet Bill Bill Finger, Finger, co-created the greatest 20th century fictional character character along with Superman. Superman. Vivian Vivian Meyer is the greatest photographer of the 20th century. Period.
0: And that documentary is on Netflix for any of you you Listeners who want to check that out, brilliant. I, I did check that out. <laughs> right. Am I, I, I overhyping it? I, I haven't watched it yet. I did check uh, uh, though that it's it's in my yeah, queue. Yeah. I have well,
1: uh, I'm not had time. Watch it. Wrap it up. It'll it'll back it up.
0: Yeah, it's it's in my queue. I just need to find the time now to watch it. Watch, now,
1: watch it with your son. Watch it, watch it with your wife. I intend to. It's a beautiful story for the. I know it sounds corny. It's It's a a fun fun story for the whole whole family. family.
0: Oh, you know know why? why? Vivian Vivian Meyer makes her living during during all those years years as a nanny. nanny. Oh, really? Uh, uh, This is what I'm saying. saying. Her story story is beyond Kafkaesque. Your mind's going to be blown.
1: blown. watch watch it. it.
0: All righty. So unfortunately, that just happened. Uh, You may have noticed uh, throughout the course of the interview, there were some issues uh, with the audio on Arlen's end. And unfortunately, the more he talked, it seemed the more his audio degraded as the interview progressed. Uh, We did have audio issues from the beginning. I don't know why I tried to hold it together as long as I could, but unfortunately the wheels came off the bus and we ended up in a ditch and the rest of the interview sounds pretty much unlistenable. So I apologize to Arlen for that. I also apologize to you, our listener. Uh, I did try really hard to get that cleaned up, but unfortunately nothing worked, so we'll have to have Arlen back on in the next few weeks for to finish up the conversation and possibly have a whole new conversation because we really need to have him on more than once so that we can do more than just skim the well that is his knowledge when it comes to comic books and comic book art. I also want to give a shout out to our friend Fred Schroeder. He is the producer who, or the filmmaker who made Stripped, uh, the documentary about uh, the demise of comic strips in newspapers. He did provide me with some really good questions uh, pertinent to uh, comic strips and the Silver Age of Comics. And I I did get Arlen to answer those. But again, unfortunately, you can't really hear, the, hear his response. Um, so, We'll have to ask him those questions again, but thank you, Fred, for those, and I will get those answered for you. And if you have any questions that you want answered by Arlen, the next time we have him on, go ahead and send them to me at ggp at com, and I'll be sure to get them asked and get you some answers. Also, I want to say thanks again to Arlen Schumer for taking some time out of his busy schedule to chat with me. Uh, The work that he is doing is really important, guys. And if you're a fan of comics or of art, you really need to pick up a copy of his book, The Silver Age of Comic Book Art. Trust me, you will be glad you did. It is a magnificent piece, uh, amazing information, amazing artwork by some of the legends in the industry. And in the meantime, uh, while you're waiting for that to come to your, your door by Amazon or by Arlen... Uh, whichever whichever place you order them from. Uh, be sure to go follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And if you haven't checked it out yet, we're also on Patreon. Uh, please visit patreon.com slash Stolen Droids if you like what we do here and you want to say thanks. Uh, also, be sure to check out Arlen's website at arlenschumer.com. He has a lot of information there, everything from comic book history, to Twilight Zone to Bruce Springsteen. I um, mean, the guy's the guy is a wealth of pop culture knowledge, and his website is a great place to, to find out a little bit about what this guy knows and what this guy does. And like I said, his work is really important. So please, please do support him. And until next time, good day. This has been a Stolen Droids Media Production.